From Beyond Marketing, it's The 20-Minute Call, a podcast about the dreamers, boundary pushers, rebels, and champions of the skydiving industry. Each episode is a narrative journey highlighted by the highs, lows, and luck that the skydiving industry delivers as told by the most influential people within the sport. If you've ever dreamed of becoming a skydiver, perhaps opening a drop zone, or becoming the next world champion, check out the 20-minute call hosted by me, James LeBarry. My guest today is a humble skydiver who has accomplished so much that often his title as a five-time U.S. national champion and three-time world champion is overlooked. This oversight only happens because of the glowing items on his resume, which includes filming the epic skydiving scenes in Iron Man, Iron Man 3, Kingsman, Godzilla, Point Break, The Hangover 3, The Bucket List, Charlie's Angels, and perhaps the most iconic skydiving scene ever filmed, the famous halo jump out of a C-17 military aircraft from 25,000 feet with Tom Cruise in frame for the movie Mission Impossible Fallout. Whew, I get goosebumps just reading that. I am so excited to welcome to the 20-minute call, Craig O'Brien. Hey, Craig, welcome. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. That's quite the introduction. Uh, I'm almost embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I did make sure to put humble in your intro because I figured you might be. Before we get into your career, I would love to, to talk to you about your family for a moment. Your father was a pioneer in the deep sea diving world and had hobbies in sailing, skydiving, photography, and racing cars and motorcycles. Tell me about your dad. Yeah, my dad was uh, pretty much all around adventure. He was an awesome guy. Um, he wasn't home a lot um, because he was Mr. Adventure. He wasn't the greatest dad, wasn't an awesome husband for my uh, mom, um, but he was a super cool dude uh, that did a lot of cool stuff that inspired me when I was young um, to chase my dreams and to do the things that I enjoy doing and find a way to make a living doing it. That was kind of his whole motif in life um, and he also inspired me uh, at a very early age uh, to get into photography and as well skydiving I when I was really young I was uh, around at the drop zone when he was jumping so um, you know it's inspired a lot by my pop incredible what was it about his deep diving that had him sort of classified as a pioneer you know it, it was just an industry that was uh, relatively new um, at the time, we're talking about like late 60s um, deep sea diving for uh, offshore drilling uh, uh, platforms that drill for oil. Um, you know, they have the divers that go down and do all the mechanical work underwater. Uh, that was being done a lot around the United States and um, parts of Europe at that time, uh, but it hadn't really started in, in Australia. They discovered oil offshore, and uh, obviously lots of oil companies went down there to uh, get that black gold and had to have divers to uh, uh, do the work underwater. And my dad was like one of the original guys that went down to Australia and um, kind of taught and ran the diving industry in that part of the world at that time. Interesting. Tell me about your mom. Yeah, my mom, she's the complete opposite. My mom's uh, 
stay at home, you know, awesome lady, uh, pick up my clothes as soon as they hit the floor. You know, when you come home, dinner was always cooked. My mom was just, the, you know, the ideal mom. She's a great lady, scared of everything, right? She still freaks out about me skydiving, which is kind of funny to me. She always asks me when I'm going to stop, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to stop anytime soon. But she's an awesome lady. But like I said, the complete opposite of my dad. Has she seen your, you know, I'm sure she's seen your footage. I mean, has she said, well, Craig, you did a good job with old Tom Cruise there. Uh, she, she just, every time she sees it, she just tells me how nervous it makes her to think about me jumping out of an airplane and, and doing what I'm doing. You, could just, you just see her when we, you know, see it. I'll show her stuff and she's at the edge of her seat, just worried about me primarily. That's, uh, you know, that's her whole focus. So how would you describe your childhood? Um, you know, my childhood was, um, it was interesting. You know, like I said, my early childhood, you know, my mom and dad were still married and um, I traveled the world a little bit, went down to Australia, uh, was exposed to a lot of fun stuff uh, with my pop. Um, and uh, uh, unfortunately, my parents, uh, you know, got divorced, split up. I stayed with mom, came back to uh, California, was raised in Bakersfield, which was a great, you know, I had a great time there too. I was surrounded by lots of family. I got brothers and sisters and lots of cousins, you know, big family in Bakersfield. And, and it was it was all good, but it was all focused around sports primarily. My older brother was a, a football star in high school and college. He even uh, got drafted to the NFL. Didn't play in the NFL, but he did make it to the NFL. Um, so, you know, sports was a big, big thing in our family. And as for me, it was, uh, even as a young kid, I was on the sidelines at my brother's football game shooting pictures. Um, that's really where I got my first uh, passion for shooting sports uh, um, and, uh, you know, shooting football. And my brother and I had cousins that were really good basketball and baseball players. Um, so I did a lot of that when I was growing up. I, I just imagine, like, when I think about, like, a, growing up in California 30, 40 years ago, it's like... The world is your oyster, and it sounds like you did it. You did it all, you know, in in terms of what kids get up to that maybe they don't get up to today. It sounds like a a fun childhood, despite some challenges. Yeah, you know what? I I grew up at a great time. You know, um, when we were young, we we were out and about, completely on our own, learning to take care of ourselves. We had, you know, I mean, we weren't. Uh, I wasn't poor, but I wasn't rich either. I mean, my family was well enough and off to uh, be able to supply me with like, you know, a motorcycle. It wasn't fancy, but you know, all the kids in the neighborhood had motorcycles, and man, we explored around the countryside of Bakersfield and Kern County. It was wide open, and we could go for miles all day long with no one knowing where we were at. And uh, you know, it was a good time growing up. Tell me about your siblings. Did they follow in your footsteps and your dad's footsteps in adventure? Not so much. Um, I mean, they all are very athletic. Like I said, my older brother, a uh, football player, um, which he was inspired by my dad. That's something my dad did as well when he was young. Um, and uh, my brother was inspired by that. And I also have a sister between us. Um, and she's uh, super athletic as well. She's uh, the uh, uh, 
she's 60 years old today, not today, but now, and uh, she's the women's uh, club champion at her uh, golf course at her country club in Bakersfield. So um, she's very athletic as well as my older brother. I mean, I guess I'm kind of athletic. Skydiving is somewhat athletic. But yeah, my, my uh, older sister is an awesome person. Um, mm. Has a great family, great family lady as well. Um, so yeah, I'm surrounded by great siblings, great family. Awesome. That That is a theme I've picked up about you, Craig, both either in your social media or when I've uh, what I've read about you is family is important to you. And, and I know your immediate family is, is a big part of your life. Yeah, very much so. It, it's, it's interesting right now. I'm in an interesting time where, you know, my oldest daughter just got married uh, a couple of months ago. So I'm adjusting to that. That's, uh, um, you know, a big adjustment to have one of your children leave the house. Luckily, um, her and uh, uh, my son-in-law, Lucas, found a place about five minutes away from us. So they're still close. But it's a, an adjustment to have my oldest out of the house. Because uh, really, uh, for me and my wife, Tanya, raising our girls was, was you know, still is, you know, our, our primary focus. And, and our, our goal in life is to uh, make two awesome young ladies. That's great. And you get a lot of attention because of, you know, your resume, but your wife was a rock star skydiver in her own right. Uh, tell me about Tanya. Yeah, for sure. Tanya carried the whole thing in the beginning. Um, we were a team, a sky surfing team that uh, when we first started jumping together, we had aspirations of getting into the X Games and knew that we needed to... Uh, uh, train full time to make that happen. So we we both moved to Paris. At the time we had just started dating, we were um, not married yet. We were just dating. Decided to make a team. Moved to Paris. Trained full time so we could make the X Games. And uh, it didn't take long for for uh, Skydive Paris to step up and offer us support, sponsorship. I mean, they were amazing. Um, I mean, they. I think they saw. Uh, of something in Tanya specifically that would help them and get lots of attention. Sky surfing was a big deal at the time. Um, and yeah, we, we, we charged away and uh, um, got better and qualified for X Games and continued to get better. And she got a lot of media attention, you know, being the cute, pretty young girl that, uh, uh, you know, was out there surfing it up and, and in the end beating up all the boys, winning world championships. And that was a great run. I mean, we, we got a lot of media attention, a lot of production attention. That's where our, my first production job, or feature film anyways, uh, first feature film job was Charlie's Angels uh, in 2000. Uh, we actually filmed in 99. But uh, we got that job based upon them seeing Tanya on TV, and they just had to have her in their movie. So that's how really we got started in the feature film um, work and then as that uh, sky surfing career went on and it started coming to end I, I I was pretty sure I was going to be going back to my uh, other job as an electrician which I did before as a full-time skydiver uh, because all of our work uh, was around her activity um, 
But as that, as as, as uh, her activity kind of fell off, it seemed like uh, other doors started opening up for me, and people started realizing that I was available to do other things outside of just um, chasing that little sky surfer around. Mm, amazing. You you referenced uh, that first production job in 2000 with Charlie's Angels. So I watched that clip, and uh, LL Cool J is is sort of the bad guy, uh, as I recall. Yeah. Yeah, she's stunt doubling for Lucy Liu, and her flying is very impressive in the sequence, as is yours. And what's interesting about that is you weren't behind the camera. You were actually one of the stunt people in front of the camera. That's right. That's uh, right. In that, yeah. Yeah, I was the I was the bad guy. I was the bomb, right? And, and, and of course, originally, when they contacted us, they wanted her character to be sky surfing, but... Um, you see the scene, you could imagine how challenging it would be to pull that off uh, while sky surfing. So we at least talked him into uh, pitching, the, uh, getting rid of the board, and uh, Tanya did a great job skydiving on that. Even though, like I said, it's, it's primarily not her forte, uh, but uh, she was a great skydiver. She did great. If you're a DZO or DZM listening to this podcast, and you're not using Burble, I've got a question. Why not? If the reason is price, what's the cost of your time? Other booking and manifest softwares are a one-size-fits-all. Burble was built from the ground up by a DZO for DZOs to maximize efficiency. Now, isn't that nice? There's no software that compares. Choose Burble. Burble. Imagine as a, a, a camera person and stump person that, you know, the challenges I've read for you is... You know, you are there to give the director what they want. But at the same time, some of the things that a director may want is not really realistic. Like, hey, we should sky surf out of this, you know, this plane and land in this boat. So is that a a, a fine line between, hey, I want to give you what you want, director person. But at the same time, you know, this is not really realistic. Yeah, that's the balancing act when you're working with directors um, is it, it my goal is to deliver their vision as much as possible but there are times they ask for things that uh, aren't possible but most of the time they're 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 very understanding in those areas they'll say you know if possible you know I'd like you know can we do this can we do that and if we can't we explain why um, and so that's that that's just a balancing act I, I try my best to not tell somebody that something can't be done because it's out of my expertise or my area of expertise. I wouldn't say like if someone said, hey, can you go sky surf out of that airplane? You know, I wouldn't say, oh, no, that can't be done. I would say, hey, let me call a sky surfer for you to get sky surfing out of the airplane. So that's kind of a balancing act you got to you gotta. Uh, uh, work with because they're thinking that too or is he saying this because he can't do that or, or do I need to bring another guy in when they, when people work with me they genuinely see that I'm there to um, service their needs first and foremost um, and I usually find a way to deliver what they're looking for if they ask for something that's unrealistic then it's just unrealistic it's as easy as that which is ironic because the halo jump in, in Mission Impossible was completely unrealistic and somehow that seemed like impossible. We're going to get to that. But bef- before we do, you mentioned that 
you, your first sort of production was in front of the camera as a result of Tanya sky surfing and the fame, but you started jumping at Taft kind of late at age 29, right? And of course, you, you learned a lot from the legendary Bill Jones, but Joe Jennings was also there. And yeah. he was doing production. So where was the tie-in with Joe, or was there any tie at all? And, and I know that you were sort of driving back and forth to that drop zone for four years, honing your skydiving skills. Can you just share about that period and what you learned there and how that set you up for the future? Taft was an amazing place for me to start my skydiving um, adventure and career. Um, and yeah, Joe Jennings played a huge part of it. I... Uh, I started jumping there. Taft had just reopened. Had only been open for I think less than a year when I started jumping there. And there was a pretty amazing group of people that were um, already jumping there. Rob Harris was there training. Joe Jennings, um, Vic Papadato, and Troy Hartman were brand new young jumpers there as well. Uh, there was a group of young kids. Tanya being one of them, and her. Three friends, Mike Ortiz, Fritz Finner, and Eli Thompson, who later became the Flyboys. These were all brand new skydiver people that I met when I came out to Taft that um, later became, each one of them, world champions in their own uh, disciplines within the sport. Um, and there was an amazing vibe there, and it was a great group of people. And the Joneses were already uh, kind of in the uh, production circles with uh they had worked on point the original point break um there was other production activities they worked with of course they would bring joe jennings in to film for them when needed and norman kent and um man when i saw this activity going on being a photographer before a skydiver i i, I just you know jumped in and and tried to find where i could fit in and and help these guys and and they brought me in pretty quickly and uh, um, that was really where I started chasing the production work was just being on set with these guys, um, even like through testing. Um, probably the earliest thing I ever worked on at all would have been the, uh, the movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Eraser, where the Joneses were developing the parachute stunt and I did all the test filming for them prior to Norman Kent coming out and filming the scene. Um, and so that's really what got me going into uh, the production work was, you know, that, that original uh, group of people I surrounded myself with there, there at Taft. And it, was, uh, and it was a great run. I was there for four years. And during that time, you know, uh, Airspeed came through there, um, Arizona Airspeed's very first uh, summer of training. They left Arizona, thought they were going to leave the heat to come to uh, the beach in California. And they ended up in Taft, which is um, a desert oil field, just as hot as Arizona, I think, at times. But, uh, yeah, they came out there, Dan B.C. and um, his posse, and they were a huge inspiration to that young group of people I mentioned earlier. And um, everyone in that uh, just was, was full throttle chasing some, you know, bigger aspirations in the sport of skydiving. I was going to ask you, how is it that you decide, when you decided to go to Paris to train full-time, you know, what inspired you wanting or thinking you could get to the X Games? But everyone you listed, I feel that when I've watched clips of the X Games, 
that was like the entire field that was contending for medals was every one of those people. So I could see how one would be like, gosh, these are the guys I'm jumping with every week. Let's all go do this thing together. Extraordinary. Sure. I mean, in our minds, this is just what you do, right? We show up every week. We hang out together. We go do this stuff. It, we had some success. So in our minds, this is just this is what everybody does, right? We didn't know that that this small group of people were were doing things that that lots of other people, you know, were were aspiring to do as well. What a hotbed of uh, of skydiving. That's that's extraordinary. So you moved to Paris. Uh, who is instrumental once you get, you know, to getting more jobs on commercials and movies, once your competitive career, once you got the nationals and the worlds, you know, there's that transition. Who really helped bridge the gap getting into Hollywood for you? Well, originally it was Joe Jennings for sure. Um, I, I had a hold of his shirt tail from day one as soon as I saw him doing production work and did everything I could to help him and to be an asset for him. And uh, he, he started uh, getting a lot of work. Uh, I remember we did a ton of MTV work. We were doing a lot of work for a show called Senseless Acts on Video where Troy Hartman was the host. Joe did lots of filming. We did lots of aerial uh, stunts for that. And uh, so Joe was Joe was a big part of that to get started. And then um, once I I, I kind of started looking in more feature work, um, I had a close friend named Tim Rigby, which came through the Taft drop zone in that same time frame as us. He was a, a new jumper at Taft as well. And Tim Rigby um, not only was a very high-end skydiver, became uh, one of the best Hollywood stuntmen in the business. Um, he just recently retired from an amazing career, and he was a, a huge part of getting me in the circles uh, and getting me relationships with the stunt uh, community and starting my career as a, a feature film uh, aerial cinematographer, for sure, is Tim Rigby. What was the first production... Like, you know, I imagine you were doing a lot of commercials, you're doing MTV stuff, but like the ver the first like big production where you weren't on camera, but behind the scenes shooting. You know, I think the very first big film I did on my own, no Joe Jennings, no Norman Kent with me as on my own, was a movie called Stealth. And it was me and Tim Rigby. He was doing the stunt. Um, well, it was a, it was an ejection seat scene and, uh, um, we were, they had built like 25 of these mock ejection seats that we were going to throw out the side of the Cessna caravan at 20,000 feet. And he was going to go on this crazy ride, uh, with this seat. And of course in Hollywood style, they want this thing filmed, you know, very specific, um, which was, which was really super challenging uh, because it was just you know it was this thing sometimes would turn upside down and fall fast and spin other times it'd lay flat and spin and go slow it would travel all over the place so it was really just me chasing this thing around struggling to get these very specific shots that they needed um, which I think we were able 
to get what they needed for them to build the shot, which ended up being a lot of green screen work anyways. But that was a super, one of the hardest jobs I'd ever done. And it was super stressful for me emotionally because, uh, uh, you know, it was my first, it was my first big show. Um, I, I say on my own, but thinking back to that, I remember Tom Sanders came on that job as well as the B cameraman to just shoot, um, uh, what we call slates, which is jump out and just jump, film the ground for background stuff or film the sky or the horizon. He was doing all that for us. And I remember the discussion came up where they asked, uh, in the meeting, they asked Tom if he wanted to go try chasing the seat. And of course, what would happen is uh, because the seat was so big, I'd climb out of the airplane on jump run, climb over the seat, and Tim climb out. Um, They'd push the seat out, and then Tom would watch, watch us fall away, and then he'd climb out and go do a slate. So he was watching the first part of these skydives out the door. So when they actually asked him if he wanted to give the chair a go, he was adamant about not feeling that he, he could do any better than what he was seeing me doing with what was happening. So, I mean, although that was super stressful, that was something that made me feel you know a little more confident about being in a place that i belonged in and that's kind of how you really feel when it starts is you're second guessing whether you really have the skill and the ability and deserve to be in that slot but when you got people like tom sanders backing you up and telling you know the people you're working for that they got the right guy it it uh, goes a long way to make you feel like you deserve to be there is it very competitive or, you know, there's a handful of, of guys that are, are well-known, yourself, Norman Kent, Tom Sanders, uh, certainly Joe Jennings and a few others. What is, what, I mean, you know, you all want to be working on these big jobs. How do you all work together? How is it competitive or is it more familial? What's that like? You know, it, it is competitive. Uh, we all want to get on all the jobs, but at the same time, we're all friends. And at the same time, we all understand that um, it's an interesting game. We're, we're a very specific animal, a, a, a skydiving cinematographer. Because we're not in front of the camera, but yet we're stuntmen, it's very challenging for us to keep our standards of um, financial compensation where... Um, where we want it to be because they're always trying to cut us out because we're not in front of the camera so they use that as a tool between us aerial camera guys to tr to try and um beat us down and to take the job like oh hey you know, we're not going to give you any residuals you know and said so tom says oh forget it i'm not going to do the job um and he's expecting that I'm going to do the same thing or Norman's going to do the same thing or Joe likewise. We So we do communicate with each other. We found that that's the best way for us to um, keep everyone's interests um, in the same place financially is to communicate with each other uh, what's going on and um, to keep the rates 
reasonable for us. So yeah, it's competitive, but yet it's friendly and amicable for sure. And we do our best to put each other, like if they ask for a second camera guy, of course I got, you know, that list of guys and maybe someone else to choose from. Um, but we obviously try to hook each other up and um, keep each other working. We're all playing the same game, trying to feed our families and, you know, make it to some sort of retirement one day. But I think we're all working until we're dead. How do you get on a movie? Is there do you have an agent that's repping you and seeing what scripts there are out there, or how do, how do you get found? No, I, I think an agent in this area wouldn't be you know to my advantage. Uh, that's just not the avenue the work comes through. Um, my experience, specifically in feature films, is what happens is a, a studio will decide to uh, make a movie. Um, they'll hire a director. Director hires second unit director. Second unit director is the guy who's in charge of um, action. If there's any action in this film, they'll hire a second unit director. And the second unit director will hire his group of stunt coordinators to uh, produce these stunts that are in the movies. I get hired through relationships I have through those stunt people and those second unit directors. So it's really all about having those relationships um, and that's the avenue the work comes through. So um, I feel like I've done a good job of, of um, getting introduced to the people, you know, the second unit directors and the stunt coordinators and showing up and uh, doing my job and delivering and uh, they seem to be calling me back. So that's really the avenue where my work comes from. You may have already answered this with stealth, but of all the the productions you've been on, what was the most challenging that really tested your skills all the way through? They all have their challenges. I mean, a lot of times you'll see a a sequence on the big screen or on TV, and as a, a regular skydiver, you think, oh, that looks really easy, that we could do that. That's very simple. Every... Every production shoot is challenging because the details are everything and they mean a lot. And, and, and I have to remind some, you know, a lot of times we'll do uh, maybe smaller productions where we have multiple skydivers and maybe they're just going to jump out and build it. We're going to build, we're going to build an eight way round. Oh, they all laugh. Oh, that's going to be super easy. That's going to be easy. It's never easy, Right. All the details have to be taken care of. Your shoes have to be tied properly. You just can't have, you know, loose chest straps that aren't stowed. Little tiny things makes everything difficult. And just understanding the details. Uh, if you if you take care of all the details, it's all it's all pretty much easy. Um, outside of the task of the actual stunt, sometimes the stunts are more difficult than other, like the stealth stunt with the chair. Um, sometimes like uh, Mission Impossible is a great one having to pull focus and free fall was incredibly challenging um, so yeah there, there are some big challenges but they're all challenging on their own I imagine and forgive this terrible analogy but if you're a caddy uh, to a golfer on the PGA Tour and you're, you're, you've got work you're, you're, your PGA player is making the cut and you're making money but what you're hoping for is for the either get connected to a player that's on a world stage or for your player to rise to the occasion and win the U.S. Open. 
you know, there's a payday. Is it kind of like that where you're continually doing stunt work, but you're waiting for the big call like a Mission Impossible? Is is that kind of how it is? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I can compare it to that analogy. Um, there's not really <laughs> enough of it out there to where it's like, uh, you know, I hope I get the call one day. I'm, I'm you know, I, if there's a big thing going on out there, I know someone in my small circle is going to get the call. It might not be me, but there's a good chance that, that you know, it's going to be me at this point in time. Um, but in the, in, in the past, you know, you would just hope that that job would come to that relationship that you're working on because you know that's the path where it's coming through. That call's coming from that person that you know that you've worked with or works in that industry. Um, I, I, I think that's really where, you know, I'm looking to see it with the work come for the big call come from. If you don't mind, I'd like let's talk about Mission Impossible Fallout. Part of me is like, it's too bad you've done so much great work, but that this is the movie a lot of people talk about because the stunt was so extraordinary. But what was the first communication you received from someone that said, you know, you're being considered to work on a blockbuster Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise? Like, you get that communication. What's your response? Like, oh my gosh, this is the Super Bowl of stunts. This is as big as it gets. What was your response when you got that call? Um, you know, I, I I knew the call was coming. There were multiple people already working on the project that I had worked with in the past. And there was chirpings about that there were problems and that my name was being floated around, which made me excited. When I finally did get the call, like I said, I was, I was somewhat prepped by a couple of people who were in the circle. Um, they had some other people in there that uh, weren't working out. They had actually had a couple other camera guys in there prior to me that for different reasons weren't fitting uh, their needs. So I got the call. And uh, it was pretty interesting. I was actually at a Thanksgiving family dinner when I got the call here in California and they wanted me to fly the next morning first class to London to interview with the director and Tom Cruise himself. So obviously I had to cut Thanksgiving dinner short to um, get ready to catch a flight early the next morning for London. Um, and, and that was very exciting to get that call. You know, I, I, I knew what was going on and I was confident that when I got there that I was the right guy to do that job. I knew what they were trying to do and knew the hurdles they were looking at and facing with the people they had and felt that um, if anyone could pull that off, I could do it. Greg, you seem like a real, real calm guy, but you're walking into a room with a director and Tom Cruise like... Are you nervous? How are you feeling emotionally? Uh, the first meeting was actually a lot of fun. I, I flew out. They picked me up at the airport, take me to the studio. And um, in Tom Cruise style, the guy is just 100 miles an hour. There's no like sit down in a meeting room across a desk. You, you get, you're on set. 
you're watching them shoot. He's crashing a truck. I think I was watching him crash a truck in an alley. And between shots, he comes out and takes a few minutes to do business. And that's how I first was my first meeting with him, which I was pretty much. I'm not one to be starstruck, but I was thought it was pretty cool to watch this guy crash a, a truck into an alley and then climb out the front window, come under an easy up and a, uh, uh, watch the shot on the screen and be all calm and cool about it. But as he finished watching the shot, he looked up and he saw me and he made eye contact with me and stopped what he was doing and came walking up to me and stuck his hand out and introduced himself. Hi, I'm Tom Cruise. Of course, I laughs of course Tom Cruise Craig O'Brien and he says I know who you are I've watched your work thanks for coming out so I was kind of blown away that he himself when I walked up had already done his homework knew who I was and was ready to talk business and we did we got right into it right there the director came right over flipped a laptop open they had a, a previs which is basically a cartoon of the specific scene they want to shoot um, they showed it to me and um, I watched it through and they said can we do this and I looked at them and said I don't see why not I don't see anything on there that's not doable and it was pretty much exactly what we shot um, and they were just like both step back we're like wow you're the first person that said we can do this and i'm like yeah i don't see anything we we can't do um and uh, they got big smiles on their faces and uh, asked me if i was available for the next 10 weeks and away i went are you not nervous that you're saying yeah it, it can be done i craig o'brien can film this but can the action star execute when it's not like he's a current skydiver. He had 40 or 50 jumps previously. Can Tom Cruise pull this off? That's the exact question I asked him. I said, yes, this can be done. And I looked at him and pointed at the previous. Says, can you do that? He says, we're going to train me to do that. I'm like, well, then if you can do that, the rest of it's doable for sure. Who was training Tom Cruise? You know, Tom Cruise was already been doing a bit of training when I came on the scene, quite a bit actually. And Milko Hodgkinson and Sean Stokes, both from the UK, uh, were there full time working with Tom. Uh, great instructors, and they're both great skydivers in their own rights um, as well. Okay, so let's let's set up the scene here. I'm going to encourage anybody listening to this to make sure you look at the show notes of this podcast because there's videos of everything that we're talking about. This iconic stunt is you exiting a C-17 from 25,000 feet. So let's, let's just start with you wake up in the morning, Craig, and that you know that the day ahead includes that you have to hit or nail a near-perfect jump out of a C-17 aircraft at 25,000 feet with a heavy red camera on your head with oxygen strapped to your torso, needing to run backwards down a tailgate with Tom Cruise in frame on a multi, multi million dollar project whereby if you screw up, everyone associated with the production is talking about you. How do you mentally prepare for that day? 
You know, it's it, it, you, you just have to take it one moment at a time. And, and, and I'll be honest, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I loved the pressure. I loved the uh, fact that we only had one take a day, that everything had to be just perfect because it, it, it required that everybody, and, and I was just relying on myself, but everybody had to be 100% focused and 100% sure all the details had been taken care of. And yeah, there was bumps along the way, and yeah, we messed up a couple, um, but we got through it super efficiently, and, um, and I was... Uh, every day, waking up in Abu Dhabi, heading out to the Air Force Base to go shoot, I, it, I was pumped. It was it, I knew I was working on something special, and I really enjoyed it, and I knew it was hard. We practiced, uh, practiced what we were doing daily. When we were when we were doing a, a scene, it was um, you know it was it was practiced. Four times prior that day before jumping out of the C-17. And then we would do two C-17 practices before the actual take. So you had some build-up during the day knowing that, um, you know, everything's going to be dialed by the time the shot got there. But that's the kind of thing that I really enjoy and really like. I like it when, you know, it's a one or we got one shot to get this. Um, and for me, that just... Yeah, it keeps me focused and um, you know gives me that desire to you know to do it right and do it right once. If you're a fan of the 20 minute call, I'd like to invite you to be a member of a budding community with me on Patreon. By becoming a patron of the show, you can join me behind the scenes to discuss options for future guests and gain access to some show swag. It's pretty sweet. Details on how to become a patron can be found in the show notes. Okay, back to the show. I did enjoy the pressure of the oneer. I haven't having one shot to do it, and there was a lot of pressure um, with the big production, like Mission Impossible, and the time we put in. But I put a lot of practice in. I mean, the challenging stuff, the skydiving, for me wasn't challenging. The camera work. And the technical aspect of focusing was really challenging. And stepping off of that ramp backwards, was, the physicality of that was the hardest physical part, was nailing that exit. Walking backwards, stepping off, not bobbling the camra um, when you make that exit. Because I'll be honest, more than once in practice, I've tumbled off of that ramp multiple times trying to uh, pull that exit off. You were just saying, Craig, that you, you know, fell off that ramp. And I read that Tom Cruise came up with a solution that when he rushed you, that was indicative that you were getting ready to leave the aircraft. That's right. That's right. We, we tried multiple different um, ideas to give me visual cues or visual references. But anything visual, if I took my eye off of Tom, then it, that would show up in the framing. So we knew I, I can't take my attention off of him and it was his idea to say you know what when i see you're like that last step i'm gonna bum rush you like i'm gonna run right through you so you have to jump and it worked it worked great it worked great that's what 
really allowed us to pull that uh, exit off cleanly without me stumbling. I mean, we I, I got it a number of times, but like I said, uh, in, until we started doing that, then it became automatic. Craig, what's a what's a phone call home like? Uh, you call Tanya and she goes, "Hey, honey, how was your day?" You know, like I mean, are you just buzzing? Yeah, there, there it, it was fun making phone calls to home on that job. I, I, I remember a lot of phone calls just telling Tanya, um, I'm in disbelief of what this guy, this incredibly novice skydiver, is pulling off. Tom Cruise was doing things, and and I would just call and be like, "Oh, babe, I wish I could shoot you this, show you this video of what this guy can do." He was amazing, and it was a great time. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of those calls. Uh, you know, just I'm, I'm always trying to keep her informed and up to date with exactly what we're doing, so she feels comfortable and not worried about what's going on. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of those calls uh, that uh, I had fun, you know, explaining. Uh, how great this guy was. I'm going to talk about Tom a little bit more here in a moment. I want to read you a quote from a camera person that really admires your work. And he wrote, I'm a camera operator myself, and I cannot begin to explain how impressive this is, the jumping out backwards and keeping a good composition throughout is impressive but the fact he is also pulling focus himself and nailed it at such a close distance like that is unreal. For, for me, the novice that doesn't know your world, from what I've read, you pulling focus is never done. Can you explain the significance of you pulling focus and why this is such a big deal for those in the industry that, that are shooting film? Yeah, never been done before in free fall in that manner. Um, we were shooting at night, and because we're shooting at light, obviously there's very low light. That means the camera lens has to be opened very wide. And when you do that, that gives us a very shallow, what we refer to as depth of field, the area of acceptable focus. Um, and at three feet, which was the distance in which Tom Cruise's close-up was, there's only a six-inch window front to back of where the focus is even usable. So it has to be precise. And then as he moves away, obviously that camera lens has to be focused in a timely fashion to match that draw, whether it's coming away or coming at me, to keep everything in focus. And not having a viewfinder of any kind to look through, you know, is the biggest challenge. I was doing it completely by feel. I had a device in my hand that um, had like a rocker dial on top of it, and I would push it one direction to take the lens to close focus, and I'd push it the opposite direction to take it to far focus. Of course, we would use our knowledge and understanding of how the camera worked to hedge our bet by when I pushed it to the short focus side, it stopped at three feet because that was as close as he was ever going to be. So I knew when I pushed it that one particular direction, if I just buried it, it's coming to three feet. So he's in front of me, I'm buried at three feet. The other direction, if I buried the, 
dial in the other direction, it would take the focal length up to 30 feet, which I knew from 30 feet beyond into infinity, I would have focus. So I'm trying to manage that back and forth just with feel. Um, and it's happening fast. And the lens is tough to keep up with the action. So it took a lot of practice, um, a lot of time spent on the ground with the helmet on, filming, with the device in my hand, walking around, set, filming things and talking so that I know what I'm focusing on. Focusing on the trash can, focusing on the sign, and focusing on my feet, and just doing that day after day, practicing pulling focus. Because um, uh, I knew it was that was going to be the thing that was going to be probably the the biggest challenge in making us have to redo a jump. When you are practicing, do you have a viewfinder to go, I'm focusing on the trash can, but you need to know if it's in focus or not. Or are you, are you then going, all right, stop recording. Let me go over and see how that looked. Is that how the process was? Yeah, I would walk around and film and talk and change focus. And then I would take the helmet off, go put it on the helmet stand, plug it into the monitor and replay it and listen to the audio and watch the film and figure out how to get better at, at, at focusing just, you know, using the force. <laughs> the, the, the device in my hand was nicknamed the lightsaber. Clearly, Tom was very impressed with this because in the behind the scenes footage I've seen, he is even saying, you know, it can't be two feet. It can't be four feet. It had to be three feet of distance between you. What intrigued me, too, though, is as you exit the back of the tailgate and he's coming in towards you and you have him perfectly in frame, then he flies past you and then you're turning watching him fly away, which now I'm thinking, okay, now you're adjusting the, you know, the, the, the zoom, I suppose, for lack of a better term to keep him in focus as he's flying away. And then you're flying back to him. Is that all in one sequence? That's all in one sequence. That's all in one sequence. And as I'm, as he's flying away, I'm not only having to think about managing my position and camera angle, but managing that focus as well, right? He's going away. Focus has got to go further away, but now I got to go closer. So these personal movements and camera Focus changes were really mentally challenging to have to think about and skydive at the same time. That can't be possible to really practice that on the ground, you know, because you've got something then moving away from you and then you're moving towards it. I didn't know or understand the technicality of pulling focus until like it, the penny just dropped for me like, oh, my gosh, Craig, like. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, wow. it, it was it was a big challenge. We did have a couple of problems. Um, we did have one take that was just uh, we it was perfect. It was perfect, except the focus. Right, that when he came in for that three foot close up, it was it was not in focus. And I remember us landing from that jump and just being beside ourselves in joy. And then, of course, we put it on the big uh, 
you know, 72 inch monitor for the whole crew to see. And it's soft, right? What a letdown, right? It was a huge letdown. And then there was a lot of banter back and forth immediately, emotional banter about, you know, whose fault it is and what were you doing? And, you know, and I'm like, hey, I had it buried at three feet. And what we figured out what was happening was while I was inside the C-17 filming the dialogue between Tom Cruise and Henry Cavell, which was all filmed on helmet cam by me, there was a focus puller in the airplane with a monitor out of sight managing the focus. But he can only do that while I'm in the airplane. And then once I exit, I take over, focus. But what we discovered on that jump, what was happening was after our banter back and forth, I asked the uh, camera assistant focus puller, I asked him, I said, how much of that skydive could you see on your monitor? And he said, I could see the whole thing. I'm like, what do you mean you could see the whole thing? I've seen him fly up to you. I've seen him fly past and dive away from camera. I'm like, well, if you can see him, you still have control. You still have a signal. And all the light came on for everybody. So we figured that soon as I, me and Tom exited, the focus puller would then disarm his device, which would then make my device take over. Because his was the master, mine was the secondary. So as soon as he deactivated his, mine activated. And then, of course, we went up the next night and stuck the shot. And everyone was super stoked. I imagine that you feel almost relieved that, okay, because everyone's looking at you. And it's not you. It's, oh, man, I can't imagine the pressure that you were feeling in that moment going, did I do that? Is it me? There is a bit of pressure there. But I mean, at that point, you just have to realize that, you know, mistakes are going to be made. And if it happens to be me that makes that mistake, then so be it. But we got to keep moving forward. Um, I know I'm going to be my harshest critic and my, you know, hardest judge. And, um, you know, I'm just not going to worry about what the others are going to think about a mistake that I make. I know I'm just going to try and come back and make it right. So the next night, you guys nail it. And I think there's footage of that in the behind the scenes video on YouTube. In this footage, we see you standing right next to Tom Cruise as you both watch the video, I assume, on that 72-inch monitor. Yeah. And it's a parent like it's very clear that tom is a perfectionist who demands excellence and you all are watching and and i can see in your face you're very pensive like you know i can tell you're on on edge to in hopes that you nailed it and then suddenly tom starts beaming and he starts clapping and he's right next to you and suddenly your face goes from pensive to beaming with pride what did that moment mean to you that was a super awesome moment that was a really cool moment i'll never i'll never forget that because he was he was just filled with joy and i mean that's my goal my goal when i'm on the job is to make the person i'm working for smile 
And to see a guy, uh, especially a guy at that level, um, just beside himself um, was super exciting for me. I was super proud. And, um, you know, with all, you know, we talked earlier about the pressures of that day. And and I didn't, I I felt like I wasn't really feeling a lot of pressure. Um, But the, the, the accomplishment that I did feel walking out of the hangar at the end of that evening um, was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. I'll, I'll never forget that. I, I remember um, thinking of my dad and um, thinking how proud my dad would have been of that. You could have a boss, but then you've got a boss who is demands excellence in Tom Cruise. Like That's the hardest guy to please, I imagine. What an accomplishment. Yeah, he's a focused guy. He knows what he wants, and um, he doesn't settle settle for anything less. Um, I know uh, it, it, by that time, I felt he knew me well enough that he knew that um, I wanted nothing short of perfection uh, for him as well and was going to do everything I could uh, within my means to deliver what I, you know, to, to deliver what he needed. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when you would have called home to say, let me tell you about today. That's cool. I have to say it was a good day. <laughs> what impresses you the most about Tom Cruise? Um, you know, just his ability to, uh, you know, pull off these stunts that he does. He, 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 even, you know, at, at the age of, 61 years old you know he just pulled off this incredible stunts for um mission seven and eight with a base jumping and speed flying um i mean it's just super impressive uh to to watch to see him do it and there's no slowing down i mean it was it it was it's all work i mean yeah he's having a lot of fun doing what he does but man he's just focused it's all work all the time. He goes from one project to the next without a break. Um, and it's just super impressive to see somebody with that level of motivation that you know has been happening as long, you know, as, as I can almost remember. I mean, I've been seeing Tom Cruise on the big screen since I was, you know, a young man. Uh, so. Yeah, he's been he's been going full throttle for a long time, and that's impressive to see. I don't know if you're aware, but I am living my own Mission Impossible movie, and that Mission Impossible movie that I'm living is that I've made it public that I want to interview Tom Cruise on this podcast. And while I know that the chances of that happening might be one in a million. I'm holding on to the one. And I share that on social. And I know Craig Gerard reached out to you right away. And uh, <laughs> I feel like it would be wholly unprofessional for you to call Tom Cruise and say you need to be on uh, that little tiny skydiving podcast. But Craig, maybe next time you're chatting with Tom and he says, hey, Craig, you know of any good podcasts I should join? <laughs> You just yeah. Keep in mind. <laughs> hey, you know, and, and, and this and this comes right straight from Tom Cruise himself. It's only impossible until you do it. When I interview Tom Cruise, then uh, <laughs> I'm going to say, "Hey, Craig O'Brien told me that it's only impossible till we do it." Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. 
Let's talk about your neck for a moment because, um, you know, most camera flyers struggle with neck pain and you're wearing some serious weight, particularly with a red camera that's not exactly light. How, how do you take care of your body and yourself? You know, I've never had a neck injury in my whole skydiving career. I've had some bumps and bruises here and there, but I, I've, uh, I mean, I've had some sore necks, especially back in the day when I first started shooting features and we were still running 35 millimeter film cameras. Um, those things were just, I mean, the red's a, a walk in the park compared to those 35 millimeter motion picture cameras. They were super big, super heavy. And I, I never had an injury, but, you know, um, lots of massages and sore necks in those days. And, and uh, nowadays, um, I seem to manage pretty well. No injuries. I think the fact that I'm active jumping cameras all the time, I mean, I'm uh, jumping, you know, weekly, uh, you know, I jump four or five days a week, and I'm always jumping with a full-size digital still camera, uh, maybe a couple of GoPros. Sometimes I, you know, rock my little Z cam, which is like a small uh, miniature red camera. So yeah, I'm jumping that stuff all the time. And uh, I think that keeps, you know, my neck in shape. I think maybe my stature might help too. You know, I'm not a very big person, you know, I'm kind of a smaller guy, kind of compact. So I think that helps as well. I get the impression that you still love skydiving. Yeah, skydiving is pretty cool. <laughs> I, I feel super blessed to uh, be able to make a living um, doing something like skydiving. I mean, photography is really the number one passion, but to be able to um, have an outlet for my photography in something like skydiving is an incredible blessing, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I like jumping. Jumping's cool. The stuff we get to do is fun. Um, but most importantly, the people in the sport are amazing, and that's what keeps me there day in and day out. This podcast is sponsored by Beyond Marketing, the digital marketing agency for the skydiving industry. Now, I'm not a fan of lots of ads during a podcast. I mean, who likes ads? So I'll stop talking about <laughs> how marvelously wonderful Beyond Marketing is. But if you're curious about what the amazing people of Beyond Marketing do to help drop zones and manufacturers thrive then you should check out their website at dropzone.marketing. That's dropzone.marketing. It's funny, you know, you mentioned when you were at Taft, here's Dan BC coming through with the, with the Airspeed crew. And I know you guys are really good friends and, you know, you see each other at the DZ, you know, regularly. It's kind of wild how his career went and your career went. And yet when you saw each other in those Taft days, you all were just you know, chasing the dream. It's amazing the accomplishments that you two have made and still in proximity with each other. Yeah, Dan's a great guy. You know, I feel lucky to have Dan at Skydive Paris. Um, you know, he's a driving force for a huge amount of activity. He's a driving force in safety. He keeps us all safe. He keeps us on our toes. He never stops preaching to us about safety which um, is almost a joke at times, but it's not a joke. I appreciate it immensely. He genuinely cares about the people, you know, that uh, jump at Paris and, and in the sport in general. And he, he, he's got an incredible passion for jumping. 
himself. He, he just loves to skydive. I have an excuse of attaching the photography to it. But for him, it is all about skydiving. He loves it. He really does. So many more questions, but we're, we're running out of time. I'll, I'll, let's, let's end with two more. Okay, great. Craig, you have been to places all over the world. You've, you've, you've met and worked for the, the biggest directors and Hollywood stars. But tell me a story of an adventure you've been on that when you recall it, makes you smile. <laughs> you know, I, I've been super blessed to have a lot of super cool adventures in a lot of places all over the planet. Um, but the world meet in 1999 in Australia with my then brand spanking new wife. It was really our honeymoon. Um, that adventure to Australia, we took five weeks. We went and won a world championship. We spent three weeks um, traveling around um, that adventure with just me and Tanya. I mean, something to make you smile. That makes me smile. That was a great trip. And we still talk about it often. Last question. If you could identify a crossroads moment in your life that had you not said yes to it, you might not have had the career you've had. Man, that's every day, right? I mean, we make choices every single day when we get up. Any one of those could take you in a different direction. And I know there's been jobs and opportunities that have come up that I've said yes to that uh, uh, at the time might have felt a little bit over, like I, it might be over my head, but I was able to pull it off in some manner. I mean, so maybe there was a lot of those along the way. I can't think of anything specific. Maybe Charlie's Angels, that first Charlie's Angels, that job came through Tanya and me, and the, and, and the two of us were hired to put the skydiving aerial team together. I decided at that time to bring Joe Jennings on as the cameraman and put myself in front of the camera for a handful of years. I thought that was a bad decision that slowed my career down. But looking back now, I think that was one of those yes decisions that really helped me in the long haul, um, understanding my role, uh, on set working as a stuntman skydiver. Craig, I have loved this hour and a bit. Man, I have was so excited to talk to you. Ah, thanks. I've enjoyed my time as well. It, it really has not disappointed. I don't want to overindulge, but I hope maybe we can meet up in, in a year from now and talk about some of your projects. And I didn't even get to the James Corden, uh, f you know, one of the funniest YouTube videos <laughs> I've ever seen with he and Tom Cruise. And you were right there capturing all that action as well. I wanted an incredible career. And uh, more than anything, Craig, for me, it's always impressive to talk and meet with people that have done great things or accomplishments like a Dan BC or, or Craig Girard. But what makes me admire folks like them and you is that, that when you can accomplish or, or be such a high achiever and it not affect how you treat others... 
And it's that attraction that I have or the respect that I go, wow, here's a guy that's really top of the game. And he's still putting on his pants the same way that he always did. And he's still kind to others. And that's really the reason why I've wanted to talk to you, Craig, is your reputation is that, you know, it it almost seems like everyone's hyping you up except for you. (laughs) And it's so, so refreshing. Well, thank you so much for saying that, James. That, that, That means a lot because that's really how I try to live my life. And I don't want to say like, judge others but it's interesting when you get to a position where people feel they can you know get something from you so so to speak people will treat you differently and i watch i pay attention you know the people some people might treat me very kindly and be very nice to me and that's great and i appreciate that but i really pay attention to how people treat others that maybe don't have something to offer them. And I think it's super important that we realize as people that we all deserve um, you know, to be treated kindly. What a perfect spot to end. Thank you so much. Right on, Chance. I appreciate uh, you giving me this opportunity. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the 20-Minute Call podcast. Please do follow us on your podcast app so you always have the latest episode which is released every Monday. If you want to contact the team, our email address is podcast at beyondmarketing.xyz. This episode was edited and engineered by Garnet Snydrick of the YouTube channel Blue Skies Fun Days. Thanks for listening and join us next week for our next episode.